Welcome to Pitch It To Me Podcast, a show about the subjective past, present, and potential future of flesh and blood design. Remember, the real allies were the friends we made along the way. Duel! Today's episode will be all about allies. On Red Pitch, Joel will take stock of the ally situation. On Yellow Pitch, Clark will give some soft suggestions for how allies could be better in the future. And on Blue Pitch, Fuzzy will brainstorm some ally designs for other classes. You can find us across all socials, such as TikTok and Instagram, at Pitch It To Me Podcast. I'm Joel. I'm Fuzzy. And I'm Clark. That's it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I, I said my name. What more do you want from me? So for this episode, we're going to preface it with sort of like a warning, uh, but not really. While we're discussing the polarity of, of allies, we as a group agreed that it's, I don't want to say toxic because I feel like that word's like overused, but it is overbearing and a little overwhelming for a lot of the heroes in Flesh and Blood as it stands. Allies so, can feel really scary when you're sitting across from them. Yeah, so we're kind of operating on the assumption that they're not good for the game and we're going to explore how, like, if at all, we can keep them in the game and make them a little bit healthier. Yeah, and still at the end of the day, we all think that allies are important for the game. They have a role in this game. Mm -hmm. We are definitely not of the opinion of like, illusionist was a mistake. Cut it from the game entirely. Never reprint these heroes ever again. Well, I think Joel <laughs> might literally believe that. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> but we definitely think that allies have their place. They can be done in a healthy way. And so we're also going to be exploring that as well. You may just hear a, a bit more of a negative tint throughout the episode of like what isn't working. Mm -hmm. And you might not necessarily agree, but maybe this episode will kind of convince you. Or if you have your own ideas and you like really think we're off base, that's okay too. We would love to hear about that in the comments or on our Discord. And speaking of engagement, when I kind of first started this podcast, I was really excited at the idea of like continuously shouting out the stuff that people were engaging with the episode, but we kind of need a follower base to do that. We're just getting to the point where I can actually say things like, hey, I want to hear what everyone thinks and talk about it on the show. So to kind of start that, I have a little bit of a prompt for you all. Um, on Blue Pitch, I'm going to be giving some ally designs for heroes and other classes and what that might possibly look like. And I would love to hear your takes for what an ally could look like I want to hear your custom ideas for allies, and I'll take a couple of my favorites and shout them out at a future turn zero in another episode. Probably not the one immediately following this because of the way we record, but maybe episode like 27 or 28. If you give me your ally designs, I'll shout them out. It'll be great. Yeah. Uh, you can leave those in the YouTube comments, in our Discord, another Discord plug. Uh, you could tweet at us. You could email us at Pitchatimi Podcast. There's... Tons of ways of uh, sort of sharing that with us. And mm -hmm. we're really open to collecting everything. Check in towards the end of the episode for more details on like yes. exactly what we're looking Stick for. Stick around, right. listen to Blue Pitch, and I'll tell you all about it. All right, with all that being said, I think we should jump into Red Pitch. Joel, tell us all about it. I'd love to, Clark. We're going to be beating the same horse to death uh, for a while. Uh, that's the saying, right? Beat a horse, yeah. a dead horse? Yeah. Okay, so. It's not beating it to death. It's beating it because it's already dead. That's yeah, where yeah, the yeah. phrase comes Be from, right? Beating a dead horse to death. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> 
allies in Flesh and Blood so far have really taken place largely through the Illusionists, OG Prism, and Dromai with the Spectra Auras and Dragon Allies, respectively. And I think this is like the most glaring example of like what I feel is the antithesis of Flesh and Blood. Like I think it really goes against a lot of the design uh, with like the access to free go again and, and you know, the uh, difficult to deal with nature. Um, and I guess we can go a little bit into like why they're toxic. Um, I think largely because there's a lack of interaction, like phantasm I feel is more so a red herring and it's not like an actual real downside. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause the heroes with bad matchups into illusionists or like with bad action point economy, uh, suffer even more than probably they originally designed. Cause like six is, or like six power attack actions that are not illusionist are pretty hard to come by unless you are a class that uh, predominantly deals with those types of uh, cards. So a card that already lacks these cards going against a class with an entire board like a four or five auras or dragons, it can feel, well, it would be impossible to like clear all the auras without or dragons without the other player creating more and making it like, Kind of like a sinkhole, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like illusionist feels like they kind of get the best of both worlds. Mm. You kind of have classes roughly on a spectrum where they're either go wide with lots of action points or they're go tall with lots of high power, six plus power cards. Mm-hmm. Illusionist has these phantasm cards where if they're defended by something with six or more power, then they're destroyed and illusionists supposedly are like, no, my cards, you destroyed it. That was so easy to defend for you. <laughs> But if they make a lot of these auras with Spectra, then you can't clear them out unless you have a lot of action points. And action points, not even go again, right? Right. right. Like Prism was definitely the worst offender of this, even though we don't think of Prism as like an ally hero, mm-hmm. because OG Prism certainly wasn't. It was all auras. The Spectra auras functioned a lot like allies. Right, right. They were both the source of these like multiple small go again attacks, but then they were. It also took your entire turn to clear them. Right. Mm-hmm. Way you, easier for her to put them down. Right. And so you'd often see, and maybe this is due to how young Flesh and Blood was at the time, because the only way to deal with like multiple auras on the field would be to roll Scapsing and Leathers as a brute or run uh, Time Skippers as like a guardian or another class just to get two action points and throw like, you know, your valuable attack actions at these. Um, Spectra cards, mm-hmm. and that's less cards out of your deck. Like you're losing threat density as you're dealing with them, so it can be you know a lot to deal with. Allies definitely seem to also go against the like basic idea of how flesh and blood was sold to us, which is why I think a lot of people struggle against them. Mm-hmm. Like James White will say this even in interviews today of like flesh and blood is all about starting at your strongest and getting weaker throughout the game, mm-hmm. and that was so wonderful in stark contrast to where most flesh and blood players came from, which was Magic the Gathering, which is all about starting at your weakest and then building up a nice big board state. Right. Mm-hmm. And now here we are in flesh and blood where we have been sold. No, it's the opposite. You're going to start at your strongest and get weaker throughout the game, mm-hmm. and then allies just completely go against that yeah. because it's all about building that board state and getting stronger throughout the game. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good observation. I do think it's good to have room for alternate gameplay patterns. Very sure. much so. Like, yeah, the default is you start strong and expend resources and slowly get weaker throughout the game. And I don't necessarily want every hero to play out that way. But it does seem like a very stark contrast, like you were saying. And 
allies really have the ability to really dominate and create a really huge board state that can be really overwhelming to a deck that is already like losing power because now we're at that mid game and you might have lost some of your equipment already or even blown up from like a tomal tie like <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah and the way that i think of it like depending on the hero um, that is facing against like a Dromai player, for instance, like you can kind of think of every single dragon as gaining life. Like if the average point value is like two to three, like you're gaining two health here or, two, or three health here. Mm-hmm. And on top of actual sigil of solaces and defense reactions, it can be a little overwhelming. And I will say that, you know, with uh, Flesh and Blood and LSS's commitment to uh, change how action point economy works in Fab 2.0. I think this might be the last like egregious example of like what allies used to be, and like you know it'll never be at this power level again, or the, at least that's what I hope. Because I don't think anyone would you know would want to keep dealing with the same like broken uh, formula per se. Yeah, I think the intention with Dromai was really for that phantasm to be a not quite a punishment, but like definitely a clear and obvious weak side. This idea of like if you pop the first dragon, their turn ends. It doesn't matter what other board state they built up. As long as you're always able to pop a dragon and then throw damage at Dromai, Mm -hmm. you're doing okay. But then Dromai just insta-loses against every single Guardian and Brew. So they gave her tools to deal with what happens when her dragons get popped. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, these other classes that weren't able to have a popper every single turn naturally... Now they just cannot deal with it at all because, oh, now Mira Guy's out or Chromai's out or right. one of the dusts are down. And it just completely, I think, threw off everything because they had to give Dromai some way of dealing with those super bad matchups. But mm. then it just gave her extra toxic matchups into someone like Riptide where it's like, yeah, I throw one big arrow a turn. I'm not doing, I'm not doing well. Or two little arrows. Yeah, it just, it wasn't healthy. Part of me wonders, like, how strong Dromai has been this whole time. Because it took a long time since her release for Dromai to be seen as a powerful hero. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a long time. I can think of a couple big podcasters, especially, <laughs> who would continuously bag on Dromai and claim that she was a very bad hero and she was not nowhere near winning tournaments. But it was mostly these same mechanics that we're talking about that have been around. And maybe we're also a little bit biased because there are a few like really good Dromai players in SoCal that we brush up against every once in a while. Yeah. And I'll kind of answer that fuzzy because I think in large part it was due to skill expression. Like I think, you know, we've talked about it in previous episodes, uh, especially the one with Anthony Fan, where we talked about like people aren't willing to take risks as much. Like they mm-hmm. want a sure bet, so to speak, like as sure as you can get. And Dromai wasn't seen that way for a long time. It took a while to figure out with Icelander being a thing and Phi being a thing. I think she was just kind of like overshadowed for a while. And now the curve has been flattened so much, like with um, Tome of the Imperial Flame, like it just mm-hmm. makes it so much easier to not only get like these uh, two, three dragon turns, but these big ass dragons like Tomaltai, Optima, and Dominia. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, is what's making, I, I feel, is what's making Dromai like way easier to access and way easier to perform well with because you just have overwhelming pr- board state pressure. Yeah, and even before that came out, we were seeing Dromai in the meta for easily mm-hmm. like two big competitive seasons. For sure. She's kind of becoming the next Lexi. Never the dominant deck, but always one of the top decks. Yeah, you have to cater your deck to this specific deck now, I feel. Aside from like the two obvious like 
problem childs of allies. I think the next topic would be like the big shadow allies like Urser, Blasifet, and um, Nazareth. Yeah, the shadow uh, demons. Yeah, exactly. And I think these guys are kind of like the what I feel would well, even if it's just shadow or like these like if another class gets access to a big ally, like these are pretty good examples to work from because not only are they kind of difficult to make, like they like Chain was probably the easiest. You play six blood dead cards, which was really easy back then. Um, Levia probably being the hardest because you need to have six blood dead and you have to play against this like inherently bad mechanic. Uh, Nazareth actually is probably the easiest because you just need six rune chance, which is pretty easy with your hero ability. But all of these don't really make an impact immediately. And even then, it is predicated on the other hero being a light hero. Yeah. A couple things that I've noticed when I was looking at all the different allies and all the different ways that they show up in Flesh and Blood mm -hmm. is that these are one in instant, so you can't recur them with Remembrance right. like you can with mm -hmm. a lot of the dragons mm -hmm. or uh, some of the auras. Not all of the auras. A lot of the instant auras are there. But they're instant, so you can't recur them, which means once you play it, you're only getting it once. Right. And then also that like lack of immediate board presence and lack of general utility. It is just a 6-6 six, six body that can attack once. Mm -hmm. Only really against very niche cases will it get any added utility. Yeah, and even when I've like resolved like a Blazafit, for instance, against like a Dromai, they just use like all of their dragons that I haven't dealt with yet to kill Blazafit the next turn. So it essentially functions as like extra block, like gaining six life, so to speak. Like especially against uh, decks like Bravo, I think he would really want to kill that, and, and it's fairly easy to do. So you just swing two cards into the the Blasphemy and it's dead. So that that doesn't feel like very oppressive. And like you said, it's once per turn, so once it's gone, mm -hmm. it, the threat is gone. Yeah, but still, I mean, it does that thing that's good about allies, which is it takes the opponent's entire turn. They have to use a card on it. Mm -hmm. You're then left with your nice big full hand. Right. And now you get to do what you want. Like, it it still gave you a lot of space in that matchup. For sure. Yeah, and the, the last example I wanted to bring up is the Angels, which I feel like are the closest, like, illusionist ally to be balanced, so to speak. Like... When I say balance, I mean like there's multiple ways to deal with them because all the uh, angels have ward, ward four specifically. So it acts like a defense reaction, but they also have health. I think they all have like four health, if I'm mm -hmm. not mistaken. So you can attack into them with like, and four is an easy to get to number for most decks. Like even if you spend like a one for five, I think most uh, decks have access to that. And can we talk about how the only way to get these angel allies is by interacting with the opponent and landing one of these herald cards? Yes. I mean, that's not specifically true because you can You can use... play it natural. No. Can you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can, you, you can just, you play, can just play a figment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, does it like cost four? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm wrong. Actual <laughs> cool, cool thing about those, we talk about how the demon allies are cool because they got the 666 thing going on. These angels have 4444. Four, four, four. They mm. have four fours. Cost four, ward four, four attack, four defense. Oh, yeah, that's true. But no, I, I agree with you, Fuzzy, because you know there's ways to uh, get them on the field without interacting, but it's kind of like slow. Like Halo of Illumination is one of them, but right. it's a one-time use. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So you get like your first Herald of the game, and then from there on out, unless you play them, which is really inefficient, I feel. I think Very inefficient. I think most prison players would agree, like slamming down a, a Herald will dominate, or a Herald with like, like the Herald of Triumph, which... Uh, applies minus one power to all attack action cards defending it um, so that it like dances around the phantasm. Um, that's usually like the way that they build up their soul and get these figments out. 
So just more work overall to get an ally that's easier to deal with. And they still have powerful effects, but they don't last very long, assuming like you deal with them in a regular pace. I also feel like Ward 4, like as flavor, an ally that will sacrifice himself to stop you from taking damage, mm-hmm. I think flavor-wise, that can be really powerful. And as a mechanic, like if allies are supposed to extend the game by providing more health points for you to have to deal with, physically blocking my health from taking damage like extends that same idea in a way where it can't be ignored as well as is really easy to take care of, you know? Yeah. Right. And one thing I'll notice or I'll note too is the new prism has 32 health. So in order to get the same value as a full 40 health hero is to play like two of these figments and get enough value to, you know, work up to that 40. And get full value from that ward for, right? right? Because there's always a chance that I just leak in one damage mm-hmm. or I get a little bit of an attack reaction in and that ward four only technically blocked one damage. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's another way that you can balance allies. Like Dromai has so much higher effective health because she's constantly creating these dragons. Prism also has a much higher effective life total so they balanced it by reducing the life total with the expectation that she's getting so much more life. Yeah, that in addition to her original like Prism card pool like with the uh, the auras and stuff like that and the powerful mm-hmm. heralds like all of that still, still has arc light sentinel yeah she still mm-hmm. has that although all these cards are no blocks whereas mm-hmm. dromai all of her f- cards block for three unless it's like one of the draconic actions that you know Fi can use as well it's uh it's actually kind of really great because i feel like you can almost see a linear learning curve of LSS with allies in the yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. Where they they had all those Spectra cards with the with um the original Luminaris and it's like, oh this is not tenable. <laughs> this is not okay. And then okay, well let's let's also do these Shadow Demons at the same time. Oh that ended up not being as good as we thought. Alright. Uh middle ground, Dromai. Oh still very, very, very good. And now as they're reprinting Prism, we're seeing them learn from that experience even more, learning what is a healthier place for allies to be. I really like how now I, playing against the Prism, have the choice of whether I go to attack the Angel right away or attack the player and try to deal that one or two chip damage that will actually destroy the angel anyway. Yeah. Because when I attack the prism player, they're going to want to block to keep their angel around because the ally provides power. Right. So they're going to still want to block my cards versus like Dromai's play pattern, which is like, yeah, you can attack me, but all my dragons are still going to be there regardless. I can block nine play like a ravenous rabble, and then also throw 10 damage worth of dragons at your face. Yep, and if you don't deal with the first one, you are taking the rest of them, probably. Yes, so it's very, very frustrating to play against in that sense. But now the prison player is encouraged to block with cards from hand, and then, oh no, you don't have the resources to attack with your angel anymore, or you can't attack with the angel and then also get another card into soul by attacking with a, uh, a herald. With a herald. Yeah. So like it, I, especially with this new Luminaris, this new Luminaris got revealed. And I think everyone is kind of feeling that doom of the original Prism coming back for sure. But when I look at it, I still don't see really efficient one card hands. I see three card hands and four card hands, and that means that as long as I keep pressure up on that Prism player it's not going to be as easy for them to take advantage of it the way that the original Prism did with her Spectra. For sure. 
Yeah, there's definitely a lot more moving pieces that Prism needs to get him going. And I like I don't think she'll translate as well like in the Metascape after Dromai leaves cuz right now that's like an auto loss scenario for Prism. So I'd be interested in seeing like how we can evolve around this new prism and, and then see like how oppressive it actually is. So with all this being said, we did just see Kasai get the ability to create warrior allies. And I think like this is really where LSS is going to start cooking because not only are they hard to make, like you have to destroy gold on the same turn that you create them. So you need to like stockpile these golds instead of cracking them per turn. But you also have to already attack with a sword with go again in order to make these uh, little allies attack. And it costs a resource to attack with each one. Now, I don't know if there's going to be like a card that replaces the chess piece for warrior already that, you know, reduces the cost for ally attacks. But the fact that it it takes more resources or more valuable resources to make these and they're more difficult to use makes me really excited about you know, where this design space is going. But I want to ask you guys, is this a play style we should see more of? I like the balancing measures that LSS is putting in. Like, you can only attack with the Centauri cell swords if you've attacked with a weapon this turn, which we kind of saw with Dromai, where as long as you've played a red card, all the dragons get go again, which is kind of a big deal. Like, they at least have to fulfill a requirement on their turn. But giving them all go again when none of them actually cost any resources was a lot, a big floodgate that opened up with that one requirement that was right. pretty easy to fulfill anyway, since she's already rewarded with running so many reds, period. But I like the idea of this requirement where the allies need, you need to check a box before you take all their value. It also costs resources to swing with the Centauri Cell Sword. So even if you have a whole lot of them, you might not feasibly have enough cards to attack with all of them. Mm. And you still have to get, find a way to give your weapon go again. I don't think any warrior weapons right now have go again, naturally. Quicksilver Dagger is like the closest we get. Right. And it costs the gold tokens to make them. So there's a lot of like boxes you need to tick in order to get this sweet reward of the allies. And they can always be attacked to be cleared out. They have two health, which is not that much of a hurdle. And it's a, le it's a specialization, so I mean... There's the only three of them. Right, there's only three of them in the deck. So I, I like the direction. There's a lot more balancing measures going on. I would be pretty happy with seeing more allies in the future if it looked like this. So one of, uh, our executive producer, Talon, was kind of upset when this got released because even though like we see the full scope of, or we're studying the full scope of allies and like the evolution of how it's being balanced, like should we see more allies being printed? Like is this like a good place that we should work around in more classes or is this something we should kind of like Okay, this was cool. Centauri sabers, you know, you, you or Centauri cell swords, you give them gold, they fight for you. That's cool. Is this the end of it? Like, do we have more dragon ladies in the future? Like, what what does it look like? And I think Clark, you have some ideas ready for us about like what allies could be in the future, right? Yeah. So for Yellow Pitch, I want to talk about what should like healthy allies look like, and I really like that transition point. I actually had that point a little bit later in my notes, but let's move it up here. Sure. I think if allies are going to be a bigger part of the game, if they're going to be expanded to more classes, more heroes need to be given specific tools to deal with allies, period, Mark. Especially mm. those that are already struggling. Right. If you're going to look at Dromai and say, okay, Dromai has an auto-lose matchup into people that are running Phantasm, and so you gave her Miragai and Chromai and the Dusts and the Tomes, and it's like, okay... You need to do that for other classes, too. Other classes, you need to realize, have an auto-lose matchup into somebody and give them a tool for that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 
we we've talked about sort of hate cards and like what is the role of generic in that. I'm not sure if I would like to see a generic card that deals with allies, but I would definitely like to see maybe a ranger card or a what would be another class that really really struggles with illusionist. I would say certain kinds of warriors. Like I know um, a lot of people were dooming like people who were like uh, predominantly Dorinthia players like really do not like the idea of prison coming back because ALS kind of like hoses everything mm -hmm. that warrior wants to do because the second attack of any warrior is usually going to be the more impactful. Like that's how you build Dorinthia Dawnblade counters. That's how you get these, the bigger attack with Kasai Bolton usually has like a small attack up front and then like Raiden and then XYZ mm -hmm. attack afterwards. So, so you think warriors should maybe have some specific tools to combat allies? Yeah, they already have cleave, which is like act specific, but we don't have any heroes yeah, that really bit, care about that just bit yet. Too specific, right? Yeah. Right. Um, something more class general applicable to anybody in that class. Mm -hmm. I believe assassin is in that boat right now. Oh, for sure. Assassin's kind of being gatekept by Dromai right now. For sure. Mm -hmm. Especially Arachne. I think Azuri has the poppers, has daggers that they can throw. Like they have the tools. But it's certainly not easy for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like the first thing is one just say, hey, allies are going to be a thing moving forward. And because it is such a because it it pushes matchups from that like 40 to 60 range into the 20 to 80 range. Mm -hmm. I think you need to just start printing tools and say, look, we know that this is going to be something that just kind of breaks the game a little bit. And so we are going to be printing specific tools regularly for the classes that struggle with it. Just. From the start, I think LSS needs to acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. I think we also need ways of dealing with allies without having to sacrifice our own turn. So like yeah. playing against allies on the other side of the table, I need to be able to not have to lose my entire turn to like clear the board of allies just for you to build it back up again and also attack me. Right. That That's not very feasible. I'm not playing the game at that point. I'm just trying to keep your board empty. And that's not fun that's not a lot of enjoyment in that we're not interacting anymore which is what flesh and blood is supposed to be about so i think we noticed this great with ward mm -hmm. and we saw it they tried it with phantasm again i think they gave too many tools to work around phantasm even but, phantasm itself i still feel like doesn't quite accomplish what it seems like it would where like if you have six power cards then you're winning, you know? It feels like that should be the weakness, is the classes with six power cards. Mm -hmm. But like you said, Azuri has plenty. Azuri cannot beat Dromai mm -hmm. easily. Yeah, but it was definitely the right idea. We need sure. these things that allow us to interact more with the allies and allow to destroy them, which I would say, Kasai Centauri cell swords do not have. Yeah, They are just, just three twos that sit on the board. Mm-hmm. So there, I think there is maybe a little bit of danger in that, but the fact that it's just a specialization card that required that for it to really have that kind of long lasting power, you need to build up a lot of resources. You need to already be winning throughout the game. It, I think there's some play in that. That would be really funny if like a month from now, Kasai is so considered to be really strong and people are getting all these PTSD flashbacks from having shit tons of dragons on the board. They're like, oh, there's five Centauri, Centauri cell swords. I can't even pop them with Phantasm. They all have go again for free. I did all they only cost one resource. Like, though, though I will say all these Centauri cell swords are predicated largely through Kasai's hero ability, which requires not only four cards in graveyard to banish, but you need to also hit. 
that turn. Mm-hmm. Or a money where your mouth is with some attack reaction. Sure, yeah. There's going to be some cool wager effects, but I think largely if you just know how to play against Warrior a little bit better, or more efficiently, I should say, then you would be able to interact with these Centauri Cell Swords way more than you would dragons where... It's a oh, lot harder to make gold than ash. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's exactly mm-hmm. where I was going with that. Yeah. I also want to note that there's a lot of different places for this counterplay. Mm-hmm. This ally counterplay of like, what can I, the player across the table from the allies, do to stop allies from happening? So I already wanted to note that we kind of already toyed around with this a little bit in our necromancer design. Mm -hmm. Joel, when you designed your ally-based necromancer, you had the specter keyword, which was all, which was a way of destroying the ally while blocking or attacking with it, right? Yeah. It's basically like when it's overblocked, it's destroyed. Yeah, I I remember uh, that being like it were, instead of a like an attack value defense system like phantasm, it would be something like if you have greater defense, like similar to um, is a Zephyr needle that Benji uses, like yeah, his right. little daggers. So if you have a, a card or if you defend with a card with greater defense than the attack value, then it destroys itself at end of combat as a way of like like that specifically, like if you can you know defend yourself against like a like a skeleton then it like crumbles or whatever there's something more flavorful with it but all that being said like if you were able to do to defend well against like attack action cards then you'd be able to do well against the allies as well and and that was like a way of interacting with allies that we haven't seen you know just yet yeah but i think there's all sorts of things that we do requiring the attacking player to deal enough damage so it's like yeah if i full block out your allies will destroy themselves at end of turn. Mm. Or if I am able to take the damage for turn and then put too much pressure on you and you don't attack with your allies, like you can't pay that one to swing with your cell sword. Okay, they leave. Or like if you don't create a gold every turn, they're like, what are you paying us with? And then they all oh, leave that's the field. So, that's actually really funny. Yeah, little <laughs> ideas like that. Just something that says, you now need to meet this condition. You need to keep winning. And if I can interrupt that somehow, if I can bring that interplay back into the game your allies' powers go down. Mm -hmm. And whether they get fully removed, get attack reduced, get health reduced, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but just this idea of if I am able to play well on my side of the table, I can interact with your allies is a very necessary thing. For sure. And that goes with the core philosophy of Flesh and Blood too, because it kind of implies that this is like a mid-game strategy where, okay, I have life to spare so i'm going to take this hit and still swing with my allies get as much board pressure as i can and then in the late game when things get a little bit dicier i can't stop blocking as much then i have to like choose which allies i keep and which ones have to go because i'm not able to capitalize on them being on the field right yeah um i also wanted to mention they shouldn't have easy go again Mm -hmm. both dromai and og prism had zero cost attacks that were super cheap and did not require much to give them all go again Mm -hmm. and now we see even with the new luminaris you're not really able to make full use of that on like two card hands you're going to need three card hands you're going to need more going on you're not going to be able to now block nine block ten play a card, and then attack for a bunch. Right. That is no longer going to be the feature because I think that gave way too much defensive power when you built up your allies on top of the allies, like you mentioned, Joel, already kind of being a way of gaining health. Mm -hmm. So requiring the player with the allies to have more cards in hand, to do more, 
to get them flowing and working and operating, I think that's a very necessary and healthy thing to do. Um, I also think, and this is probably like the most negative take I'm going to have in this episode. <laughs> I think it. I think the summoner sh- archetype is absolutely garbage and does not belong in flesh and blood. Mm. I don't want to see 10 allies across the table. That is not healthy in any way, shape, or form because our attacks are single target. So many attacks are single target. Mm-hmm. And like this idea of a summoner, it just doesn't work. If what I think is better is if we went to the roots, which is flesh and blood as a fighting game. I love the fighting game analogy. I'm still working on my like two hour presentation, <laughs> hundred, hundred uh, page long spreadsheet, right? <laughs> or not spreadsheet, um, PowerPoint. PowerPoint. Yeah, like hundred page PowerPoint on flesh and blood as a fighting game. But in fighting games, you don't see the summoner archetype. That's not what they do there. What they do is the puppet master. So the puppet master is this archetype that relies a lot on complexity. It's very hard to put your ally in the right position to give yourself the combos that you need to deal the ridiculous damage. And the opponent always has the way of playing around it, hitting the ally to destroy it, which then leaves the puppet master character underpowered because so much of their power was put into their ally. That's what we need to see. We need to see one or two allies with a lot of power that I can then clear from the board and keep you underpowered. So this idea of underrate without the ally, overrate with the ally. So it almost sounds like, Clark, you want like one or two allies, but to have those two al- one to two allies be recurable, you know, yes. like in a sense, like, okay, like, like let's, let's say if it's a dragon, right. And I'm building Ash and I like transform X amount of Ash to create, like maybe it's like modal, right? Like, so like if I, you know, spend five Ash and a certain amount of resources, then it turns it into Tomaltite. If, if I've spent less, it turns into like a regular Ash training, right? Something where it's a little bit modal, but still interactable on the opponent's part. Yes, very much so. I think it's a lot, it, it, it just fits more with what Flesh and Blood is trying to do. I think it's a little bit closer to the roots of what Flesh and Blood was supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. This summoner archetype of like massive go wide ally strategies, I don't think it's working. Let's try some go tall strategies. Yeah. One big ally, hell, let me block for the ally. I'm yeah. all right with that. Yeah. But now I'm sacrificing my cards to protect the thing on board. Like, I think there's some interesting interplay that can happen here. For sure. That I would really like to see because, yeah, it this like 10 little fucking one attack, two attack guys, it's not fun. Yeah, cute. It was a cute idea, but the execution just wasn't there. Dromite does seem very badass. Yep. And pretty. Mm-hmm. And like, it's the closest thing we have to like a deep magic like user whereas flesh and blood is very like melee focused like it's not a very magic heavy game and i know when i'm playing rpgs my favorite thing is the magic users so Mm -hmm. like dromite does fit that niche really well but i can see what you're saying clark about having lots and lots of little allies is i don't know if i would use the word incompatible but i'm close to being convinced that like incompatible is the right way to think about it Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm I don't think Dromai is that far away from being a good, playable, healthy hero. But like, if they did Uprising 2.0 and just banned all the OG dragons, just made new ones, I think that would like legitimately be no, a good I, idea. I would soft disagree. I think if you just made the weapon like 
give all the dragons the ability to attack, but they cost one resource. Mm. That would be a lot closer to being balanced because you still have to spend cards from your hand in order to swing with all of them. Right, and then flame scale becomes like a better card and you have to like manage your resources better. You can't just like block nine and send 15 dragons. Mm -hmm. Or like if you could only create one ash per turn with a hero yeah, ability rather sure. than every single time you pitched a red card, that way like- Or you can't have more than five allies. Yeah. Yeah. In anything like that, I think would do a, a good job of preventing that suffocation feeling. Yeah, yeah. God, yeah. that's such a good word for it too. Mm-hmm. So those have been my ideas. Obviously, I don't want to talk too much because we have our blue pitch where we're gonna get into some of these interesting ideas of what allies can look like for different classes. What uh sort of aesthetics they can take on for <laughs> other classes. Yeah, for Blue Pitch today, I wanted to talk about some custom ally designs that might get your brain juices rolling. There you go. That's what brain juices do. <laughs> they roll <laughs> when they're feeling inspired. Um, to start things off, um, while we were working through this episode in the notes, um, it started off with like a conversation, a couple different conversations. One of them being like, Clark was in the passenger seat of my car and we were driving to an armory and he was like, listen, wizard familiars. <laughs> and he like wrote up a bunch of ideas and they were really nice. So I picked a couple of my favorites and codified them into a couple allies here. Um, I'm imagining these wizard allies as not having an attack value. They would get you value in other ways. That's... <laughs> Something that we're really used to seeing in Wizard right now anyways. Like, none of Wizard's cards are attack cards. Mm -hmm. They are all non-attack actions, technically. But they can deal a lot of damage in other ways. This first one is an owl familiar. Uh -huh. It's a pretty classic familiar, right? Mm -hmm. Again, this is basically I riffed this idea from Clark's notes. And I was imagining it would have, like, two health. And it would have an effect to give both heroes one intellect. An owl that gives you intellect, I think, had a lot of flavor. And it only giving you intellect is sounds really hard to balance. But giving both players plus one hand size sounds a little bit fair and balanced. Maybe even, like, a symmetric effect that can be broken, depending on how you build your deck. But it plays into a lot of interesting dynamics that I think would be fun to play out. Wait, so Bolton gets four intellect? Let's <laughs> go! And I said... I want this owl to be able to look into your opponent's hand. So I said your oh. opponent can play, has to play with their hand revealed. And when you have extra cards in your hand, that's even more knowledge that you get to look into. So you get to look at five cards of their hand, not just four. So does that sound fun to you guys? It actually sounds pretty cool. And it keeps my arsenal still hidden, which is awesome. That's true. Can't see what's in their arsenal. Yeah, I uh, I love my little owl design. I think <laughs> when I had it, it was just the owl, the owl let me peek at the opponent's hand. This is uh, definitely a bit bumped up from that, but that's, hey, it's totally doable. Just got to increase the cost. If they want to have their hand hidden, they have to attack the owl again. And it very much fits the archetype of like the wizard being real lonely and creating like like familiars for himself to hang out with, but they also help him in battle. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I also um, combined a couple of Clark's ideas for like an elemental. I'm imagining like a fire elemental that only has one health. It's kind of delicate, but it has two effects. First, you can spend two resources as an instant to give your next action card that deals arcane an extra one arcane damage. This is a common effect that we see in a couple wizard ideas already. This one is costing two resources, but even though it's only giving one extra arcane with wizard, when you have a lot of these effects, especially if they don't go away like Metacarpus nodes does, 
it can allow you to get over arcane barrier and hit critical on hits like um, Sonic Boom. Sonic Boom is probably the best example where like one extra damage on Sonic Boom getting over arcane barrier is not just one extra damage. It's also whatever the heck you find on top of it. So I think two resources is pretty fair for that. Or even the uh, the surge cards, right? Mm. All of them are trying to get over that little amount. Mm -hmm. And what people are currently using them, like I don't think anyone's actually using the surge cards because it's they just do like, not as good as combo Kano. They do yeah. like those two for five, like Swell Tidings or... Um, they're not played for their surge effects. Yeah, yeah. It's, but, just, it's just the, yeah. the rate, I think. But this would let you play more into that. I also gave it the ability to sacrifice itself along with another fire elemental to gain a resource. If you can stack up multiple of these, they're kind of like soft epots. Oh, yeah. So you could use the ability to pump an arcane effect and then sacrifice them to get the resources in order to play the effect, potentially. Ah, so then it turns into like a little crucible of Aetherweave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is also, uh, when, when like I designed it, I was thinking, hey, I can sacrifice the allies for value. Right? So that, yes, I can build them up over time. And if you're concerned about that opponent, you can go ahead and spend your actions and your attacks taking out, taking them out so that I don't have that value later. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a more fair E-Pot. Yeah. Like, E-Pot sits on the field and can't be attacked. <laughs> it's just there until Kano wants to use it. This is kind of like that, where it's less value than an E-Pot, but it's more interactive. You could probably ignore this and be okay as long as you can deal with a threat that eventually comes out. Mm -hmm. So those are my two little ideas for Wizard. Well, really more like Clark's ideas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I add one more thing? Sure, sure. I, my section was short, so I'm taking more of this little <laughs> beginning part. I had mentioned at the beginning of my yellow pitch that I think it's very important that the opponents have a way of interacting with these allies outside of just attacking them. Mm -hmm. So in my initial idea, it was that the Wizard had to deal arcane damage in a turn to keep them around mm. on their turn. So this was definitely obviously for not Kano. This is not allies intended for Kano. This is allies intended for some other design mm -hmm. that actually encourages the wizard to do things on their turn with their action point other than just, oh, let me just stack up this board value yeah. so that I can combo even better than Kano. It's more like, no, you need to consistently be doing things. You can't block 12 and pass. Yeah, it sounds like a mid-range wizard would, well, I guess uh, Isona could be considered that too, but it just sounds like like it leans towards a more balanced like wizard design space. Yeah, and if you ever throw too many on hits or too much damage at the wizard that they want to block, all right, you lose your allies because of that. And like a real wizard would probably be channeling a certain amount of energy to keep these familiars up anyway, mm -hmm. so that's very flavorful to me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, the next idea I had was for a potential guardian ally. And I liked the idea of an ally that would destroy itself when it attacks. Because like being able to attack with the same ally over and over again is the traditional way that you really get value for it, right? That's like how you get value out of your creatures in Magic the Gathering. The more you attack with them, the more damage you're getting out. Flesh and Blood is such a linear numbers game that being able to break that linear pattern with allies is where you get a lot of the value. So I'm like, okay. What if this version of this ally does not get value when it attacks over and over again? Because it can only attack once. But if you choose to sit on it, it could potentially grow to become stronger and stronger. So your opponent is watching this ally grow over time. And he can destroy it. He or she can destroy it whenever they want to. 
But until then, it'll grow up into a stronger and stronger ally. So I liked that fitting with the Guardian game plan. Guardians are already more of a late game hero. And I tried to imagine like what ally a Guardian might have. And I like this idea of like a horse, like a trusty steed that grows up with you. Yeah, very Guardian, right? The white knight on the horse. Yeah. Chivalry, protecting the realm. Yeah, oh. Brevent would totally have one I was of just going to say, yeah. <laughs> Sacrifice three, chivalry, create a, create a Wait, horse. Could, because chivalries have the protect keyword that let them block for Could they block for their ally? <gasps> Yo. I don't think it works like that. Uh, it, it doesn't, but can it? <laughs> it? It should. We that, can just say that it does. The first way you can block with an ally, that'd be kind of cool. Block for an ally, yeah. So, um... You would create a foal, which I'm imagining would have like maybe one health and three attack. And you could pay two resources to attack with the foal right away. If you attack with the foal, you're attacking for three. It has go again and destroys itself at the end of combat. So two for three, one time. Or if you pass your turn without attacking with the foal, it'll sit exposed. And if the foal does not get attacked until your next turn, it'll destroy itself and become a courageous cult with three health and five attack. You can either attack with it, two, four, five, go again, or it'll be sitting there on the field, ready to be attacked with three health until your next turn, where it becomes a brawny bronco, brawny bar, <laughs> brawny bronco. <laughs> like the bronco's got lots of brawn. He's really strong, brawny bronco. <laughs> nice and muscular. Sounds like a tough horse. With five health and seven attack, so you could do two for seven, go again, or... Again, pass your turn, wait for the brawny bronco to grow up into a stalwart stallion with seven health and nine attack. And I wanted there to be an end point where like, okay, Guardian, you've sat on this horse for that long. <laughs> it's getting stronger and stronger. You either got to use it or lose it. So if you pass your turn without attacking with the stalwart stallion and it still survives until your next turn, I have it giving the effect of destroying itself to gain four life, which is like not a small amount of life really that could be really strong considering that like you made this foal like five turns ago and now you're getting like four life like if you survive that long and your horse survived that long that four life is probably really powerful right not nearly as powerful though as swinging for nine so you probably want to attack with the stalwart stallion when it comes up and maybe your opponent can strip cards out of your hand so you lose the opportunity but um or they could attack the stalwart stallion at any point along the way to get rid of it. Um, so that was the idea for Guardian. Do you guys kind of like that direction for allies? I fucking love this idea, honestly. The well, So Clark also had a, an idea back in our old him um, LL video, mm -hmm. or video episode, uh, about this like epochal like guardian that like every time he plays the same action it gets stronger and stronger mm -hmm. and i really resonated with that because i like playing guardian i like the long grindy games and this really speaks to me too because it's a little full you gotta uh, you know you gotta nurture it falls are, are very like like horses from what i understand are very like fragile creatures irl like if it oh breaks, my god yeah like <laughs> you, you you stub its toe you gotta kill it or, or something like that and like after it one's runs one race you gotta kill it or something like i just always hear horses dying um but so like the fact that it you know uh grows into this like behemoth of a horse attacking for nine or gaining me four health that just sounds like a really cool like like adjacent way of playing guardian that i think would be really easy to slot like i think guardian lists are very tight as it is so just having like one way of uh you know nurturing this or even if it's like 
you know, replacing your weapon, like you like, you know, spend like maybe like four resources to create this or something mm-hmm. to kind of deviate away from like what Guardian already does. Like it just sounds really cool to me. I feel like Guardian would kill for a two for three with Go again mm-hmm. and their weapon slot. Like even mm-hmm. even if that was just it alone and they never let it level up. Right. But it leveling up is still nice. I would I think being able to block with like any card with the protect keyword on it is actually super, super cool because yeah. you can protect your horse mm-hmm. so that it can get nice and big and strong and then you can attack with it. Yeah, but that would just be like I think the reason why LSS hasn't printed those cards right now is because, like, if I'm already spending cards to attack the ally or resources mm-hmm. or, God forbid, both in order to try to get rid of this ally, and then you play an instant that blocks the damage. But how many things could have protect, really, right? I mean, I know we have the equipment suite, but that equipment suite still gives value to the opposing player. Mm-hmm. When even when you block in defense for it, so I feel like I feel like if they you want to have really like a different limited, siloed mechanic in order to do it, yeah, they really limited the amount of protect cards that were printed because right now Brevent is the only one that can run any amount of chivalry. Like mm-hmm. yes, there is a Brevent deck that runs sixty chivalry and this one ally as a weapon, right? <laughs> <laughs> like that is a build that exists out there. Well, like, yeah. I wasn't picturing this ally originally as being like a weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Or having a weapon that makes the horse tokens. Sure. Um, but I was imagining like one action card that might make multiple horses. Oh. So I make one horse that makes two or three foals, and not all of them are going to live to become a stalwart stallion. Or maybe, but like you kind of want to juggle as your opponent. Like, do I want to let all of these grow up? Or do I want to like take care of one or two of them? Or maybe I'm just going to focus on putting pressure so you can't attack with them. Actually, can I just say, I would love that for dragons. Like if that's what Dromai ends up looking like after she LLs. Yeah, of, yeah. Like you create three Aether Ashwings, but then they become new dragons. See, that's interesting turn too. Turn. Yeah, that that's really what the direction allies should take. I really love this, you know, growing up mm-hmm. mechanic. But I know how crazy it is just to make three Aether Ashwings. That can feel like a really strong turn when you time it right. Mm-hmm. So making three things that are essentially stronger Aether Ashwings, like, I can recognize how strong and crazy that would be. You'd have to really invest a lot of resources into an action card like that. Mm-hmm. But I think like the amount of gameplay, like the kind of gameplay pattern where you make a bunch of these could be really interesting. As long as it's expensive and like potentially there are other ways to deal with them. Yeah. And they're all one-time use. So that's the worst you could get out of it, right? Right. Is they they will go away eventually if you ignore them. Yeah. Or get a strong enough life lead. My last idea that I wanted to share is a mechanologist ally. Okay. I felt like I had to do a mechanologist one because there's a lot of mechanologist fans listening out there, <laughs> Han. And <laughs> there has been when we were talking about allies in the Discord, which is part of what spawned us wanting to talk about allies as an episode today. Um, mechanologist was brought up, so I mm-hmm. feel like I have to do this for the fans, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, this is technically our first fan request That's from true. our Discord. Yeah. So you're welcome, <laughs> Discord members. This is our gift to you. <laughs> I just have one idea here, and that's allies that when you have to scrap in order to attack with them. Like, we have scrap cards already from Bright Lights where mm-hmm. you banish an item or equipment from your graveyard in order to fuel the card and give it an extra effect. And I like the idea of allies that you have to scrap in order to attack with them. They might be really big, but if you, like, I have this T Rex here, and of course I spelled Rex like 
W-R-E-C-K-S. That like is it so... stuff up. <laughs> I love that so much. I don't I can't be the first one that's done that. Yeah, I might yeah, have yeah. stolen it. Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining it like having like five health, six attack. We're talking something big, kind of like Dromai's Tomoltai or, or a T-Rex. Mm-hmm. Or like an actual T-Rex, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But made out of robot parts and scrapped together. Yeah, yeah. And in order to attack with it, you have to pitch a blue and scrap three cards from your graveyard. It might be hard to get that many items and equipment into your graveyard in Bright Lights Limited. Like, it was certainly possible to, like, get three or six or nine scrap cards into the graveyard. But you kind of had to work for it a little bit, and not every deck could do it. So having these allies could be a payoff for running lots of items or Evo equipment cards. I like it. It, I like it because it has a very high requirement to do something with it, Mm -hmm. which is another great way of balancing allies. I'm not quite sure if I would... Mm, that's the way I want to phrase this. I'll say I'll say the mean way that was just right off the top of my head. And then we can like workshop a nice way of saying it. I think there are more fun ways of building allies and mechanologists. Okay, yeah, like yeah. When we think about mechanologists as like they are able to construct little gremlins to go out and fight for them. I would even argue there are more fun ways to build allies and mechanologists already in the form of... Um, Nitro Mechanoid and Teclovozin Singularity. Yes. Mm. Like, those aren't, like, literally allies, but they kind of are pseudo-allies where, like, they uh, affect the board permanently. They give you some regular source of damage. Kind of like they're upgrading a weapon, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't really call weapons allies in the same way, right? Yeah. But they're they kind of, like, toe the line. Mm-hmm. So I did like the idea of, like, scrapping together allies yes but i was kind of a little bit low on time and i wanted to throw something together so i turn kind of turned that into like scrapping in order to fuel it in order to attack yeah i like the idea of maybe um maybe an action card that has scrap of certain number and then those cards then become the material that allows so many attacks oh yeah right that that could be really cool Mm -hmm. fueling it in a different way right yeah like banish X cards from under this in order to attack mm-hmm. and the read that you created T-Rex is by scrapping eight cards yeah. together or something. Or even like, let's let's return maybe to my Puppet Master idea of the, um, a very fun archetype that I love in a lot of shows is the like, robot boxer. Yeah. Right? And mm-hmm. so the hero is the person who makes it. It's his little, it's his little guy. And so every turn he can scrap to put another card under it that maybe pumps its attack, pumps its defense, and also maybe makes it a little bit hardier. Like if this takes three or more damage, remove one of the cards that's underneath it, right? Mm. But then to attack, you also need to remove a card underneath it. So you're constantly looking for ways of like scrapping and getting cards underneath your boxer to keep it on the field. But if I attack it enough times or attack you enough times, eventually that robot boxer is going to fall apart. So it sounds like what Flesh and Blood needs next is <laughs> one set where there's four heroes like the Welcome to Wraith and Arcane Rising, but the caveat is each of the heroes have like a fat ally that they build <laughs> over the course of the game. Yeah. The Guardian with the horse, Mechanologist with the with the Mecha Puppy or, or T-Rex <laughs> or whatever, and like two other heroes that, you know, create like a big ally. And that just creates like a the like the premier way of, you know, making allies. Mm-hmm. I'm digging it. When I kind of first started this podcast, I was really excited at the idea of like continuously shouting out the stuff that people were engaging with the episode, but we kind of need a follower base to do that. We're just getting to the point where I can actually say things like, hey, I want to hear what everyone thinks and talk about it on the show. So to kind of start that, 
I have a little bit of a prompt for you all. I'm really interested to hear what you guys have. Yeah. Because I'm sure that you're just on the edge of your seat. You're like, ooh, fuzzy, fuzzy, fuzzy. I really have this cool idea for an ally in Flesh and Blood because we're used to playing trading card games that have cards sitting out on the board, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe think of your favorite effects from other trading card games that you think would port over relatively well. Maybe think of some allies that you wouldn't mind playing against because they sound like really fun, interesting, or engaging effects. Maybe allies that have a cool condition to get rid of them if you're the opponent, or allies that have a strong temporary effect, or maybe just something that's really sick and flavorful that you have floating around in your head. We really want to know. If you tell me your ideas on Discord or as a YouTube comment or send it to our email, I will shout it out in a future turn zero and I will tell the world about your ideas. <laughs> the entire yeah. internet will hear about it. <laughs> and I'm going to add a caveat. You don't have to do this if you don't want to. It's a free country. But... Uh, <laughs> If you're going to submit like a design, let's try and do like for a class that doesn't already have allies to mm. keep it a little spicy. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. Bonus points for that for sure. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing your designs with us, Fuzzy. I think a lot of them like kind of exceeded my expectations for what allies could look like. The wizards I think are flavorful, but really what excited me the most was like the guardian and the the big uh, mechanologist T-Rex. That, that was really cool. Yeah, the level up, I think, is a very clean design for mm -hmm, allies. For sure. Should we move on to our arsenal zone? That sounds yes. good to me. So for those of you who do not know, our arsenal zone is a little section at the end of the podcast where we like to take a moment to talk about some cards we've been thinking about, whether they're good or they're bad, or we're just flipping through our chaff and we just go, what the? what? This is a card? <laughs> Sorry, that was my best Joel impression. <laughs> It just sounded like you. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, why don't we go ahead and get started with Joel? What card do you have for us? Oh, all right. Um, well, recently, I don't know why, but um, it's something I've been really enjoying in our in our Discord. Um, we saw a tweet from James White um, saying that, you know, because a, a new brew got revealed today and sort of the tweet that like, uh, preceded the the reveal was, you know, um, you know something to the effect of like, oh, let's rock and roll or whatever. But rock was spelled R O K, as in rock the Marvel weapon that can't be used by anybody. And so I was freaking out about it and like you know uh, shit posting in our Discord, and everyone was like, let's go rock support. <laughs> <laughs> everyone <laughs> wants rock to be cool. Yeah, and everybody there, wants rock to be cool. Yeah, and so it was just funny seeing all the rock like emojis and people just saying rock with no other context. It just makes me really like unbelievably happy. I don't know why. So I just, I was just thinking about rock. And also there was a card spoiled today. Look it up real quick. While you do, I love that brew players really embody that brain empty mentality. <laughs> yeah. We're really like rock. <laughs> that, that's what it's about, baby. <laughs> it's called Bonebreaker Bellow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bonebreaker Bellow just got spoiled by LSS today, and it says your next brute attack gets plus three. And if you've you know beaten your chest this turn, you gets plus five instead. And it costs that's exactly what I had in mind. So it costs one, which means off of a blue, like basically any non-attack that buffs a brute attack that costs one can be paid with a blue. And then a tunic resource to then swing with rock for seven plus whatever, and it can't be prevented. 
Oh, and one of the talismans. There's a talisman that can also reduce of activating ig- rock by one. Of uh, yeah, talisman of ignition, or you could do like epot. Yeah, epot tunic. So there's a lot of ways to like get it to work, but I think like we're slowly getting to a critical mass of cards where rock is like a, a viable Rock's weapon. Rock's gonna be valid, bro. Oh one yeah, of these days, buddy. It's gonna be rock time. If not heavy hitters one, heavy hitters two or three, it's gonna get there. <laughs> But yeah, that's the card I was thinking about. Shout out to the Discord peeps um, that indulge my my shit posting. Mm-hmm. How about you, Clark? Uh, the card that I've been thinking about is Beacon of Victory. So, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> I know. Uh, I finally went to an arsenal for the first time in a long time because I have a job and money, and I no longer have anxiety about everything anymore. <laughs> and uh, I still don't have a CC deck because I haven't gotten around to sitting down and actually buying cards to build my deck back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just said, "Hey Han, bring me a deck." And he goes, "What deck would you like?" And I go, "Surprise me." Han is so good for that. Mm-hmm. He's great for that. He just shows up with a Bolton deck from last meta. Right, it has a bunch of blues to deal with Icelander in it, <laughs> and you know the first right before the first match, I'm desperately trying to figure out this deck, what my sixty is going to be. I end up winning the armory, <laughs> and primarily because of Beacon of Victory. Beacon of Victory sits very similarly to Teclocore for me, and if you remember my big impassioned speech about Teclocore, it is a fair card that doesn't feel fair. And playing Beacon of Victory didn't feel fair. Bacon is crazy. Mm. Oh, I was playing a zero cost plus five go get the most powerful card in my deck, which I can then cast at instant speed and swing twice with my fucking insane how much value a zero cost attack reaction gave me. I, I had a double Beacon of Victory into a double Lumina turn to end out one of the games against a Fatigue Riptide. Like it was crazy and all this power can be yours for the low cost of three intellect (laughs) (laughs) so beacon of victory it's a really really cracked card i really love it it is fair but it just doesn't feel fair and sometimes that's a lot of fun to play with Mm -hmm. so i'm i'm really shouting out beacon of victory i love it i appreciate the bolton has great stuff like that nice so for my card shout out today I really wanted to shout out Talon Stradley, our executive producer. Let's go. He's um, not a card. Wait a minute. <laughs> Pull up February now. I have a card. I have a card. <laughs> but Talon's been working like nonstop on how he can make Riptide viable. And through that, he's been working on like fatigue Riptide. He's really well known for it. I feel like I don't really need to mention too much because we've talked about it in the podcast before. But like he's been posting articles on the Wrath Times, which feels like the realest website that the community has right now. Mm-hmm. And in his fatigue Riptide article, he opens it with like the entire idea for Riptide fatigue is how can I run nine salvage shots? <laughs> so I've got two red salvage shots here that I'm gonna sign and give to you two. Nice. That'll be perfect for my one arrow Riptide list. <laughs> Which, of course, you're making now. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I'm editing all this out. <laughs> one for you and one for you. Thank you, Fuzzy. Thank you, Fuzzy. Nice. And that's my card shout out is Salvage Shot. Also, it's a pretty cool card. I love those things that go on the bottom of their deck and allow you to hit fatigue. It doesn't seem like an effect that you have to block, but then suddenly, like, he has cards in your deck. You're and like, you wait don't. a minute. You have four Salvage Shots, you fucking cheater? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the same one four times. <laughs> I think that about wraps up our show. Thanks for potting with me, boys. Yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. And shout out to the Discord for uh, inspiring us to make an episode on allies. Don't forget to post your favorite custom ally designs. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. Pitch It To Me podcast is hosted by Fuzzy Delp, Clark Moore, and Joel Racinos. Our executive producer is Talon Stradley. Logistics coordinator, John Farkas. Music by Dylan Hulse. Logo by Han V. And sound mixing by Christopher Moore. Last but not least, we'd like to thank you, the listener. Thank you for tuning in. Please give us a follow on your favorite social media platform at Pitch It To Me Podcast.